0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, we give you thanks for the season where we look expectantly, uh, Lord, kind of in both ways, backwards and forwards, back to uh, what you've already done and forward to what you've promised that you'll complete and do in your second coming. And so, Lord, as we look today uh, to your gospel, to your story, uh, to your life, uh, to your death, to your resurrection. Lord, we hold all of these as our only means of salvation. So be with us during this time, in Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, this morning, uh, the, the title of the class, and it may have turned more people off than it turned on, uh, but Cross to Cradle, which I realize is a little um, a little macabre, but, um, and I kind of regret it now, um, but it's true, right? It's true. Uh, when we talk about the Christian message, the story of the Gospel, that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, it all goes together you can 't leave uh, one part out at the expense of another, and often it is the case in Christian circles to kind of have a debate uh, what 's more important the incarnation or the crucifixion and there 's this false dichotomy that 's completely not uh, found in scripture at all and typically, historically, uh, where the debate has been held really is kind of in our church that is uh, the Anglican Church in many ways, the Western Church. Uh, more broadly um, because the more Catholic-leaning side of our tradition tends to privilege incarnation and the more Protestant uh, side of our tradition tends to privilege uh, the crucifixion and uh, again I'll I'll say this until I'm blue in the face you can't have one without the other Uh, now you can have an incarnation you can have a crucifixion but the meaning of both uh, and everything in between by the way, uh, they're they're just the bookends if you will Uh, all of Christ's life is salvific Uh, All of Christ's life is a substitution, not just what he did on the cross, not just what he was and is uh, when he was in the cradle, but his whole entire life. And moreover, not just his earthly life, uh, but his existence prior to uh, his coming to be with us. As John says, uh, he is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of uh, the world. This was God's plan from the very beginning. I'm going to turn to John's Gospel chapter 1, something that we'll become well acquainted with over the next few weeks. This is always uh, during the the season of Incarnation uh, Christmas uh, that we consider this. But I'm going to just jump down to uh, verse 14 in chapter 1. And you all probably know this, but we're going to read it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, that first verse I kicked off with, "The Word became flesh and dwelt among us." Um, I've mentioned this in another class, but even the most critical of scholars uh, hold this is this is a central Christian doctrine, uh, and beyond central, I mean, it's paramount. This is this is the good news that God would even address us, that God would. Uh, Uh, come and be with us and make himself known. Now, he could have done it from a mountaintop and said, you know, you are forgiven. He could have yelled it down, and it would have been valid and true. Uh, God's word is uh, effectual. But he chose to do it in such a manner where he came and dwelt with us, as one of us. I mean, just imagine, we're we're speculating here. Just imagine, uh, imagine. Now, we're not going to go too far from Scripture here, but just speculate with me for a moment. Would it be the case that if God had yelled down from a mountaintop, you are forgiven, would it be true? I think we'd have to say, yes, it would be true. God is trustworthy. But we had to question ourselves and say, whose voice was that? Who's speaking? You know, uh, is this um, uh, the pagan gods of ancient days? Is this the the modern god, if you will, that uh, man has concocted? The fact that God uh, came through Israel, uh, there's a whole preemptive story uh, that you and I are kind of led into, uh, assuming none of you are uh, ethnically Jewish, we're kind of led into it. So, But if God had not dealt uh, through salvation history in this manner, we wouldn't know him or recognize him. And so the fact that he comes in the manner he does, the story that was just told by our, our children, the fifth and sixth graders, uh, that is the story. That through, uh, through Mary, through this promise uh, of David's lineage, through uh, this people that he called in covenant with himself, he chose to become one of us and to dwell among us. And moreover, to live a life uh, where he gives us grace upon grace, as John says here. I love that John emphasizes that. Uh, Now, the law came from Moses. That's not to negate the law. It's not to say the law is not important. But uh, Moses is not God. Moses spoke for God. Moses was God's mouthpiece. But he himself was not the incarnate Savior of the world. Uh, Jesus was. And so he says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we hold the incarnation as central, as paramount, that God would come, uh, Emmanuel, be with us, become one of us. And then on the flip side of it, uh, we know that if he just came, yeah, that'd be fine, but he chose, and this is God's nature, uh, he chose to be humble. He chose to suffer. Look, if I were God, and you don't have to ask my opinion on this, if I were God, I know, I would run as far away from the cross as I possibly could. What kind of God would that be, though? It'd be the God of every other culture, every other uh, uh, mythology. A God that's uplifted and high and abstract and too good for us, which is all valid and true. But our God does something completely different. He runs towards the cross. He runs towards the humble cradle. He runs towards uh, a lowly life. And so the crucifixion to me, among many things, of course, uh, the blood of the Lamb that was slain, of course, is uh, salvific and forgives us. But the crucifixion is the crowning achievement of all of who God is. God chooses to humble Himself, not just on the cross, but throughout His whole entire ministry. And so again, you can't pick out one piece uh, and abstract it; it's a whole narrative. But just so you know, uh, just taking Mark's gospel as an example, the gospel writers uh, went at painful lengths to tell us how important the crucifixion was. I mean, consider Mark's gospel; it's it's sixteen chapters long, not very not very long. Uh, but the last, I'm going to look and just verify exactly when the crucifixion narrative starts. Just how much real estate he uses with his pen uh, to talk about this. Truth, truthfully, it is. Yeah. Now, in terms of the actual narrative when he goes to the cross, it's really around, yeah, 14. Uh, but you're exactly right, Don. There's a turn that happens in, in Mark's gospel where he starts explicitly talking about the Son of Man will go and he will be mocked and killed. And three days he will rise again. That happens in chapter 8. In the narrative, that he, he explains that. Um, who is it that goes against him? It's Peter. Peter. Peter says, far be it from me, Lord, that you would go do that. You're the Messiah. Messiahs aren't supposed to do that. You're exactly right. Yeah, so Mark spends a lot of real estate in terms of what he's writing to talk about the crucifixion. So again, speculating, we don't know exactly Jesus' age. A lot of folks traditionally say 33. It's never explicitly said 33. It says about 30 years old, and then we go from there and say he had three years of ministry. Well, let's just say 33 for the sake of our argument. Uh, one day in his life, one day, we'll say night and day, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane into the crucifixion uh, of a 33-year life, the Gospel writers go at pain uh, to, to detail. So that should tell us something right there. If anyone says it's all about the incarnation and the crucifixion is not that important, uh, uh, they're they're deluding themselves. They're delusional. Uh, early Christianity, that is the the witness of the apostles, is the crucifixion just as much as uh, uh, the incarnation. Again, they go together. Uh, is paramount. So let's stop there for just a moment. Um, any thoughts on sort of that? That proposed um, sort of dichotomy between incarnation, and crucifixion, y'all kind of understand what the rub is and why historically that's been an issue. Um, again, it's really it really comes down in some level to, to Catholic and Protestant, uh, unfortunately. But if you go to a Catholic church, they certainly believe uh, in in uh, the crucifixion. If you go to a Protestant church, they certainly believe in the incarnation. Um, it's not as if they don't believe it, but the emphasis in those two traditions. Uh, and I'm talking in major broad brush strokes uh, have been in that in that camp. Any thoughts on that before we forge ahead all right so going back to John's gospel just for a moment again we'll be uh, well acquainted with this as we already are. Um, No, back to, actually back to John chapter 1, um, yeah, and verse, verse 14 uh, is kind of where uh, this discussion started. Uh, John, unlike the other Gospels, John, um, you know, you'll, you'll know this, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written what's called the synoptic tradition. Uh, most scholars believe Mark was written first, and not that Matthew and Luke were looking over his shoulder and copying, but uh, Mark was sort of the, the first witness uh, in writing. And Matthew and Luke, uh, Luke says as much. Luke used sources in telling his story. John is doing something uh, slightly different. Now, he's not telling us lies, but he's not concerned with chronology in the way the others are. He's telling a theological account, which is, uh, which is true. And so when John starts his narrative, he's not starting uh, in the cradle. He's starting long before that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word uh, was God. And so again, this, this goes to the point that this was from, from eternity past, if you can even conceive of that. This was God's plan, to, to be one of us. Uh, the Word would become flesh, as we find out here in just a few moments. And so, that Word becoming flesh, we have to ask, wh- whose Word is this? What Word is this? And of course, you and I, as Christians, we know this is, this is God's Word. And when He speaks, uh, we listen and we hear. And our listening and hearing, in this case, is uh, beholding, seeing the man as, as He is, seeing Jesus fully God and fully man, Uh, Living a life and and in the gospel uh, they don't recognize him as the Messiah at least in Mark's gospel until he is crucified It's the centurion at his right hand or by the cross He says surely this man was the son of God And so in that you and I are given a glimpse of who God is as John says no one has ever seen God Except for uh, he has made himself known in Jesus Christ who is at the father's side. He has made him known And so you and I come to recognize God, not from his abstract power of being far removed. We don't have access to that. We have no ability to go to the heavens and peel behind the clouds or look beyond the planets. And I'm I'm speaking somewhat um, uh, mythologically there. We don't know where heaven is. It's not a location in that manner. We don't have access to that. God is uh, far removed, as Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He is far removed from our existence. And yet he chooses to enter into the picture. This is a miracle in and of itself. The incarnation is a miracle in and of itself. But then again, taking that logic of what would a God do if a God came and seeing what Jesus does, it blows our mind. It blows our mind because it's simply not the way you or I would have written the story. Now what I've given you is song lyrics that I think really, in kind of an amazing way, talk about this marrying the incarnation Uh, in the crucifixion the humility of God from the very beginning uh, uh, but chiefly also in the cross so forgive me I don't know what any techies in here anybody I'm putting you on the spot aren't I I'm gonna have to probably pump up the volume on this laptop and for those listening on the recording this is a song by a band called me without you it's called a stick a carrot and string so you can google that uh, for yourself and what I'm gonna do is just pump this volume up as loud as I can and hope that you can hear it and we're gonna to listen to it all the way through so forgive me for that but it's it's worth hearing well again for those who might be listening to the recording we just spent three minutes listening to me without use a stick a carrot and string now that line a stick a carrot a string um, comes at the very end and of course he's introduced uh, throughout the story it starts uh, in, of course the Christmas story uh, the beginning of uh, this song uh, and and at some point he starts introducing uh, Satan, you know, the snake in the garden. And the first time I heard it, I thought he was talking about um, Genesis. And there's an illusion there clearly. But he's actually introducing the snake uh, in uh, the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, And again, uh, Christ uh, throughout uh, his ministry was surely tempted. We know he was tempted uh, in the early portions of the gospel, but we have no reason to believe that stopped. Uh, But at the very end, the the snake who'd held the world, a stick, a carrot and string, was crushed beneath the foot of your not wanting anything. I, you know, so a little bit about this band, um, Me Without You, they've, they've since disbanded, but um, this ragtag group of um, ethnically Jewish uh, who were raised Muslim and Christian, just this strange amalgamation, and it all came out now, um, well now I can't speak to it, but when they wrote the song, kind of still dealing with that, you know, their father was Muslim, their mother was, was Christian, and yet they were uh, ethnically Jewish. You know, they were trying to put the pieces together. And so he's he's talking, uh, and again, in the midst of, um, n- not really sure am I Islamic, am I Jewish, am I Christian? The Christian story uh, definitely here uh, speaks to him, and I think speaks loudly through him. Uh, and what's brought out? It's it's uh, it's not just oh this this miracle that Jesus is born. And by the way, this is a huge pet peeve of mine. You didn't ask, but uh, when people say. Um, Forgive me if you do this, because I really don't mean to be a curmudgeon. Uh, For Christmas, they say, Happy Birthday, Jesus. Um, I get the point. The sentiment's good. uh, But God does not come that we would celebrate his birthday, that we would have a cake out for him and get, you know. Uh, What does Jesus say? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so the miracle of Christmas is not that you and I would remember his birthday as if Jesus is in heaven saying, Thank you so much. You remembered. You remembered. Now, of course, I don't, I don't want to downplay uh, people's heartfelt sentiment, but the point of, of Christmas is not that you and I would put party hats on and, and celebrate uh, Jesus' 2033rd birthday, but that salvation has come, and it has come in the most miraculous manner, as we heard in the story told today from the Virgin Mary, uh, the sinless uh, human being, God-man, and a moving line from this song, if you look at the first page, kind of three-fourths of the way down, the, the tiny baby lay there without saying anything. And again, I challenge you maybe to go listen to the song again. I know it's unfair on your first hearing to kind of digest the whole thing. But isn't it amazing? The Savior of the world, just like you and me, uh, wasn't born with any special privilege. He, he lay there. He's not uh, even uh, able to speak. He can cry. He might can uh, coo, but he, that's it. That's it. And this is the Savior of the world. Well, back on the back page again, I'm using this again as, as sort of a, a way of telling the story. Uh, you see little little bits throughout uh, about grace. Uh, this clever um, talk, no clever talk nor gift to bring requires our lowly, lovely king. Come all empty-handed, you don't need anything. Again, this is the gospel. We bring nothing to God. Uh, as much as we like to believe that we bring, uh, bring gold and frankincense and myrrh, and we, we can, we can certainly do that. Uh, that did not win God's approval for us. He had already decided, he had already decided long before we were on the scene uh, that he would save us and that he would love us despite ourselves. Anything else jump out to you in these lyrics? Or in the scriptures that we've read from John? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Again, we, <laughs> as much as I want to believe that I'm important and I bring something to the equation, uh, God's love has nothing to do with, with that. In fact, to the contrary, he loves me in the fact that I didn't love him first—he lo- he loves me uh, despite everything else that I believe about me is lovely. And this is the doctrine of impu- imputation on some point. He creates, uh, he imputes on us. He calls us righteous because of Jesus, not because we have anything to bring. But he but he gives he gives it, imputes it on us. Yeah, I mean, I think he's I think from again, if you look at Genesis, dangling out, did God really say, "Don't eat the fruit of the tree"? this temptation to be in charge and so the snake uh satan has tempted us all along that we would be gods that we would be in charge and so in the both the incarnation and then the crucifixion uh and as cameron cole said today, i don't want to leave this out the resurrection again you can't he said you can't talk about uh the cross without the empty tomb all of this is is the gospel uh that that um sense in humanity that we could be gods was crushed uh, beneath the foot of Jesus uh, humbling himself on the cross And so when we hear the word of the cross and the resurrection uh, it crushes that desire in us that's my take as I think about the snake in the garden tempted them to challenge God's word and God's uh, God's command did you have another thought on that or was that no, was yeah just, just kind of curious That's yeah that's my, my thought I know there's a lot here. It's two pages of dense lyrics. Oh, but this is my favorite Christmas song every year. The, the kids want to hear like Jingle Bells and you know all that, and I'm like, hey, let's listen to Me Without You. This this little punk band from Philadelphia. <clears throat> Paige, you've heard this song before, Do you? Anything strike you? It's it's hard to consider that though. This time of year, you know, you're driving through the, the you know the villages and seeing the lights and all the commercialism of Christmas, and we tend to think, you know, positive joy, and all that's true. But I think as Christians, we need to be able to look at it and say, okay, all that is true. Joy to the world. Uh, our Savior has come. But recognizing who our Savior is and what He ultimately was destined to do. I'm not trying to ruin Christmas and be a Grinch. But I do think, um, even as it was alluded to in the sermon, you know, I don't think Joseph and Mary understood or knew what they were holding, who they were holding. They believed, I think. Uh, they were faithful. But I don't know if they fully grasped that this Messiah would one day... Um, Die shamefully. You know, um, I'm a parent. I love my children. And I again, if I have a picture of their life, it's very much a glorious uh, picture. It's not a cruciform or cross-filled picture. Uh, but none of us evade suffering. None of us uh, uh, can avoid um, the hardships of this life. And we don't want that for our kids, or grandkids, our neighbors, whomever. Um, but in this particular case, uh, the suffering that would be born, B-O-U-R-N-E, uh, was unique in that it's the savior of the world it's God himself who would take it on and the suffering didn't start uh, at Golgotha the suffering started even here as he's laying in the manger you know wipe me change my diaper uh, this is human existence it's it's messy and, and certainly uh, far beyond the way you and I would have wanted it uh, if we were gods so in part that's part of what I wanted to draw attention to today was uh, God, this whole story, uh, the suffering on the cross, it, it starts long before, perhaps it, even in the womb. I don't know what a what a, a baby or a fetus uh, experiences in the womb, but even then, uh, God's already in the flesh for those nine months leading up. Uh, miracle on miracles. So you can't have one without the other. If, if Jesus uh, didn't die for our sins, the incarnation wouldn't mean hardly anything does. It'd just be another glory story of a God who, uh, you know, lived a wonderful life. But God chose to live this life in this manner. And again, throughout his ministry, healing, uh, proclaiming uh, grace and truth, uh, at times standing up to the authority, standing up to the, the religious powers that be and civic powers that be. I mean, the whole thing goes together. So there's no reason to cut off one part at the expense of the other. You and I are called to believe and receive the whole bit and to proclaim it and so when we say the creed every week it all goes together does anyone have a prayer book on them or can say the creed from <laughs> from from heart i mean think about the creed for just a moment It doesn't spend a lot of life uh, time on jesus life does it he was born and pretty quickly he suffered under pontius pilate was crucified dead and buried i mean pretty quickly and so the idea that jesus is a healer and teacher a prophet all those things are certainly true uh, but it's not where the gospels spend the majority of their time, is it? They really focus, uh, as Don pointed out, from eight half of the book essentially uh, is cruciform. That's important for you and me, not to be um, dour, uh, not to be uh, bah humbug, but to say, look in, in reality sense, look uh, in the face of all this, and say, this is what we proclaim. <laughs> this is who we are, a people who've been claimed by God, who chooses uh, to be humble and chooses to suffer. At our expense and because of us and ultimately for our good. We've got just a few more moments. <clears throat> Any other thoughts on Christmas, on incarnation, on crucifixion? Don? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And God knows that. So when, when all this was happening in real time, and again, what is time to God? I'm not so sure. But as it was playing out, uh, God knew that. That shadow of the cross from God's perspective certainly was there. Did Joseph and Mary know the full extent? No. Did the angels know? Probably I mean, probably not. Uh, angels are not God. Did the shepherds know? Did the wise men know? Uh, certainly not. And yet, from God's <clears> perspective, <throat> it, it, it was known. Uh, the blessing for us is we live this side of the cross, so we can know. Yep, grace is uh, always, uh, hindsight's 2020, 20, grace is always 2022. 20, we can look back and say, uh, God did that for us. And so it gives us the courage to forge ahead, to take the next step, as Cameron said. Uh, because we know he's he's already accomplished this. this is a unique thing about, unique thing about being a Christian is we know both the beginning and the end of the story. We're just kind of playing out the the middle part as it were, or really kind of the ending part. We're in the, the last days uh, as we confess, however long those last days may be uh, but there's both um, there's comfort in knowing what has gone before us that God has accomplished this as Jesus says on the cross, it is finished not it will be finished. Uh, not perhaps it will be finished, but it is finished. And then that gives us the confidence uh, to forge ahead. I'll have to Google that image you're talking about, Don. That's that's very good. What what does God want us to be doing in those last days? What does he want from us? <clears throat> yeah, I mentioned this uh, to the day school students not too long ago, uh, and actually at the 5 o'clock service. But if you go back into the nave and look up at the triptych of the, the stained glass, of the two comings of Christ. The, the first coming, you see Mary on the left-hand side as you're looking up at the altar. That's the incarnation, that's the first coming. Don is the one who told me this, by the way, yes, several years ago. And on the right side, you have uh, Jesus um, uh, sitting on his throne, uh, coming back to judge the quick and the dead. And what's in the middle? It's the Last Supper. Uh, it's us uh, participating, it's the disciples participating in the Last Supper, but the call is between the two comings, we proclaim his death and resurrection. Uh, through the supper, through word, through deed, uh, we make it known. We tell it not just to the world, but to ourselves. The church preaches this message to itself. And a church who doesn't preach that message to itself quickly gets off the rails. Quickly gets off the rails. So we're we're called to proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes again. And so what goes with that? What did Jesus command uh, in the last commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's what we do. We proclaim him. We make disciples of him. And we do that uh, by calling attention to uh, his death and resurrection. Proclaiming that reality in the church and in the world. <coughs> that's the best answer I've gotten. It's the architects and designers of this church who are leaning on a long tradition on that. We need that. Yeah. He's the source and author and giver of all these things. I'm not the agent. He is. And you're right. When, we've, when we heard that message proclaimed, it inspires us. It becomes second nature uh, to go in love too. Not perfectly. Uh, only Jesus could do that. Uh, but w- we do it in response uh, to what he's done. There's something else you said there that really had me going for a second in a good way. <laughs> I'm hearing the bell ring. Okay. <laughs> but it was really good. And I want to go back to it. Just it yeah, it wasn't that. That was good. But, um, <laughs> I can't remember who said it, but like, we're all leaky buckets. No. Yeah. Yeah, Luther said that. Why do you preach the gospel every week? He says, well, when you start looking like people who believe the gospel, I'll stop preaching it. (laughs) And it was Calvin who said, you know, we're leaky buckets. We need to be filled up every week uh, with God's grace. All right, well, those are the bells. I'm going to obey them. Whatever that thought was, maybe it'll come back one day. Let's close in prayer and be on our way. God, we give you thanks for the whole story of salvation, uh, that long before we were on the scene, you had already decided to come and be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, uh, to save us in your life, in your death, in your resurrection, in your ascension and your continued reign at the right hand of uh, the Father. And so, Lord, uh, we ask through these next several days as we celebrate uh, Christmas with our family and friends and loved ones that you would bring to the fore all the good news that you've done in Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.